Hi there, it's Melvin. Just wanted to take a moment to thank the team over at Thryzer for supporting this month's podcast sessions. Thryzer is a payment platform that you have to check out if you are a private pay therapist and accepting out-of-network benefits. It basically helps clients save on therapy up front. Thryzer can help verify a client's out-of-network benefit ahead of the first session so that they get transparency up front on what their out-of-pocket costs will be. I'll tell you more about Thryzer here in the middle of our session, but if you go to sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer, you actually end, then enter the code STC upon sign up, you get your first $2,500 in fees waived. Again, that's over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer, and be sure to enter the promo code STC. So we'll jump right into today's podcast session. Hello, hello. Welcome to today's session of Selling the Couch. I hope you're doing well, having a fantastic day. So today's podcast session is a conversation I know is happening in many of our minds uh, it's definitely happening in mine, uh, especially as we, you know, continue to think about STC. And before I share kind of my experience with it, the topic we're talking about is navigating this world now that there's so much money getting thrown in the mental health tech startup space, right? So practically as a therapist that is in private practice, there are a ton of companies from, well, let me take a step back. Traditionally, right? There's been, you know, like electronic health record companies, website designers, marketing. That's kind of the general sort of umbrella of of companies that have come and joined with therapists in order to support the good work that we're doing in the world. But the pandemic changed everything. There is now billions, with billion with a B, of dollars being invested in the mental health startup space every year. I'm joined today by my friend, Michael Fulwiller. Mike is the head of uh, brand marketing over at Herd, uh, which is a which is a company that helps therapists with their bookkeeping needs. But more than that, Mike has become a friend. Uh, it's somebody that I have relied on a lot um, as I navigate this interesting world with STC because, you know, for me, being a psychologist, doing this podcast, uh, in many ways, I, I see myself as a, a steward, a gatekeeper uh, between these companies and our field. In some ways, I don't know if it's the right word, but I almost see myself as a protector. And just to be like even fully transparent, I've had, you know, five, easily five-figure podcast sponsorships podcast sponsorships that I have turned down because I just didn't align with some of the things that the company was doing. And, you know, there's an old phrase that my grandfather used to tell me, which is, you know, all money's not good money. And I'm not like saying this as like, I'm, you know, some pinnacle of morality or something like that, but more just to share that this is a real thing and that I'm struggling with. It's something that a lot of clinicians are struggling with. So practically, a lot of clinicians get emails like, hey, we're doing this. We saw that you had a private practice, you know, consider checking out our new piece of insert software or insert 
you know, we can reimburse at this rate, whatever it is, right? How in the world is a clinician supposed to navigate this? And that's the conversation that we're having today. So Mike and I are covering a whole bunch of different stuff. So we start out with actually some of the data when it comes to these like mental health tech startup space. The numbers will blow your mind, especially going from the year before pandemic, the year of COVID 2020, 2021, like these numbers are just staggering. And the second question or the second area that we're going to be navigating is the reality is 90% of startups just in generally in Silicon Valley fail. And how in the world are we as clinicians supposed to figure out whether a company will or won't fail when there are people way smarter and way more experienced with this stuff and they themselves can't even predict it. So I think this part of the conversation is just an interesting one. We wrap up with two areas that I feel like are so important. The first one is client data privacy and Mike's sort of experience working and and what he sees in the landscape when it comes to data privacy. And more importantly, the questions that we as therapists should be asking when it comes to data privacy. And we wrap up with the top three areas or the top and related questions within those areas that therapists should be asking before we buy or sign up for a product or service. Side note, one of my dreams has always been to go back into private practice. Um, I've resisted just because we have a young child and it's like extremely difficult or I'm just not wired to run two different businesses, um, STC and private practice. But I'll share more in the outro of like, this is something that I'm sort of thinking about for this reason itself. So we'll jump today into, into today's conversation. Here's my conversation with Michael Fulweiler. Hey, Mike, welcome to Selling the Couch. Thank you so much for having me on. I noticed you got your podcasting voice on. It's nice. I, like I do, it. yeah. <laughs> I brought that one for you today. <laughs> yeah, you got to, when you come on the STC podcast, you got to bring the podcast voice, right? And But on a serious note, I am incredibly grateful for our friendship over these past couple of years. I think we first connected on Twitter and then we've, I think now we intentionally try to catch up and, and and share each other's lives, at least on some sort of cadence. And so, so appreciate you, brother. And as I was even, we were thinking about doing a podcast episode and initially the idea was like on niching and you had this idea and I didn't understand it at first because most things got to go <laughs> over my head. And, and you said, well, think about this one. I was like, oh, yes, we should totally talk about this. And so I'm incredibly grateful for you, for our friendship, and I'm grateful that we get to have this conversation because it's a weird time, especially in this post-pandemic, and there's a lot of money getting thrown into the mental health space, so. Likewise, been following your work for, for many, many years, listening to the podcast, so it's it's like a funny thing when you become friends with someone that you like first hear their voice on a podcast right so it's like even now it's like i feel like your voice is so familiar just because i've you know heard it so much and it's always like a weird thing uh, <laughs> but yes thank you so much for for having me on and grateful for for you as well yeah i wanted to start here which is i don't know basic uh, maybe a basic question but why are there suddenly so many mental health startups. I feel like especially 2020 and beyond, 
especially is just like skyrocketed. Like what's, and you're very much in this industry. So like what's happening? Yeah. So I think it helps to kind of take a step back and there's this term in economics called headwind factors and, and tailwind factors, right? And so a headwind is something that inhibits growth. So if you think about like if you're on an airplane, your, your flight is delayed or it takes longer to get to where you're going because there's really strong headwinds, right? Versus a tailwind is something that propels growth. So you may have a really strong tailwind and you get to your destination like 45 minutes early and everyone's happy, right? And so when we look at the mental health industry, there was a combination of these tailwind factors all related to COVID. And so the first one being that during COVID, there was a decline in mental health, like globally, it's, it's well-documented. There's a statistic from the CDC that in December of 2021, nearly one-third of adults reported having symptoms of depression or anxiety, one-third globally, one in three, right? Like that's a huge number. And when you look at um, like data going back to 2019, that's three times the reported amount, right? So people are really struggling with their mental health. Also around that time, people started talking more openly about their mental health. So there was this like cultural tailwind of mental health becoming more normalized, going to therapy, becoming less stigmatized. So there's in the, the market, there's like an increase in demand, right? So you think about supply and demand, there's like a, sh a shortage. So a low supply of therapists, right? A huge demand for therapy, which is very good for business, right? So like, where does tech come in? Overnight in 2020, most therapists went from seeing clients in person to now having to see clients online, right? And so there was this like also just like very quick switch in how therapy was delivered and the infrastructure and software and tools to do therapy and operate a virtual practice had not really been developed. You did have EHRs, there was software that existed. Going back to 2010 to 2015, you had companies like Talkspace and BetterHelp that were kind of the first movers in doing therapy on the internet, therapy over text message. But like across the board, there wasn't a lot of infrastructure for doing therapy online. And so from a investor perspective, all of those factors are very attractive. And so when we look at venture capital that has gone into the mental health space, you know, we pulled the numbers this morning in 2018 and 2019, there was about a billion dollars of venture capital that went into mental health companies. In 2020, that number was 2.7 billion. So more than doubled. And then in 2021, that number was 4.8 billion. Oh my 
So we went from one, this is billion with a B. So we went from 1 billion in venture money, venture capital and mental health to almost five, right? And so all of that money is coming into, into the space. And so that's why as therapists, you're seeing all of these companies pop up. Yeah. I mean, it is like at the core, like a supply demand issue. And when we know that this mental, like the the result of COVID, it's going to be generational, right? I mean, even having a young kiddo, I see this a lot with, with these young kids and school and just all these things, right? And yeah, it's it's fascinating to hear the bigger picture. And you're absolutely spot on because I remember even like 2016, 2017, when I even thought about like sponsors for the STC podcast, my natural tendency was like website designers for therapists, EHRs, or some sort of like marketing services in some sort of way. But now it's like so expanded out. And it, I mean, I I shared this in DM with you, like, and I'll just share it here. Like, I feel like personally for me, sometimes it feels like I'm walking into a minefield and I don't know where, like what to focus on. I, I genuinely try to do like heavy, like betting by asking like trusted friends and advisors, all of that stuff before we invest. But it is, I feel like it's becoming increasingly harder. You know, I think, I think a lot of therapists are in that similar kind of boat, right? Which brings me to the second question. The reality is most of these startups fail, right? Even though there may be a ton of money, right? There's a chance, there's a good chance they fail. So how is, I guess, how should a clinician think about this, especially if they're like thinking about signing up for something, but they're not even sure if that company is going to be around in a couple of years? It's a real risk. I mean, the, the data shows that 90% of startups will fail, mm-hmm. right? And so absolutely, if you're working with or signing up for one of these tech companies to help you get credentialed and take insurance, and then six months from now, that company goes out of business. Now you no longer are paneled with those insurance companies, your clients can't work with you, right? Like it's it's also, it's a real problem. And what we've seen as well in the industry, especially as the market has corrected itself over the last couple of years. So I mentioned in 2021, there was 4.8 billion venture capital went into mental health in 2022. That number dropped back down to 2.1. So it's kind of on the, the downturn. And so what happened is a lot of these companies in 2021 who raised a ton of money, they went out and hired a bunch of therapists. Right. And the way that startups work when you take venture funding, so you take VC money, right, is you raise a bunch of money and you're operating at a loss. There's something called your burn rate, where you're basically like you raise a bunch of outside capital, you build up your team, you hire a bunch of people, but you're not profitable, right? You're just spending money that you've raised. So you have like a certain amount of cash in the bank, then you have what's called operating capital. Maybe it's 12 months, maybe it's 16 months. And the goal is you either get to profitability or you have to go out and raise more money and then hopefully get to profitability or you go public 
and you may never even reach profitability. You know, Uber is a great example. Uber, people may not know this, but Uber wasn't even profitable when they went public, right? <laughs> but my point is that these companies, they raised a bunch of money, then they went out and hired a bunch of therapists, and then now these therapists are getting laid off, they're losing their jobs, um, which has a, a real impact on them and their clients as well. And so I will say that not all startups, not all technology companies are bad either. I think there are certain companies who take a riskier kind of approach to growth. Maybe they outspend and they end up in a situation where they need to downsize. But if, if I was a therapist and I was considering either contracting or working for one of these companies, I would really love to understand their mission, their vision, their values. Like, are they in it for the right reasons? What What is their thinking around privacy and, and ethics and, and things like that? And I think therapists in general have good intuition, right? And so really trusting your gut. And if something doesn't feel right, if you have a call and you feel pressured to sign up for the service and it just, it's rubbing you the wrong way, like I would trust your gut. Hey there. I hope that you're enjoying today's podcast session. So I've, you know, jumped back into private practice and I decided to go the private pay route. And one of the things I've been thinking a lot about is how do I tap into outer network benefits for clients that might want to use it? Now, the common sort of perspective or tip that a lot of folks say is just to provide a super bill for clients. But the reality is, I feel like most clients aren't going to go take a super bill and then call the insurance company and then deal with that whole mess of trying to communicate with the insurance companies and waiting on reimbursement and all of that kind of stuff, right? And then at some point, especially if they're keenly aware of budget and stuff like that, they're like, oh my gosh, I may not be able to afford working with this therapist and all of those kind of things, right? Thri this is where Thryzer comes in. And the really cool thing with Thryzer is that they will actually float the clients for the sessions. So basically, when you sign up for Thryzer, you can automatically submit out-of-network claims for your clients. It's simply done through an app. It literally takes seconds. And Thryzer takes care of all of the insurance stress. So we don't have to deal with it as clinicians. Our clients don't have to deal with it. And clients just pay what they owe for, for actual sessions, i.e. like the difference between your rate and the reimbursement rate in order to skip the long insurance wait. All they have to do is pay the standard 3% credit card fee. There is no monthly contracts or fees or anything like that. If you would like to try out Thryzer, you can go to sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer, enter the promo code STC so that your first $2,500 in fees are waived. Again, that's over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer, and Thryzer is spelled T-H-R-I-Z-E-R, -E and enter the promo code STC. And the reality is a lot of companies go out of business, and so I think the risk with startups is, is certainly higher. But I wouldn't say it's a reason not to use one of these services or not to work with one of these companies. I will say it's it also can be an opportunity, especially as a therapist, if you build a relationship with one of these companies, especially early on, you can 
almost become an advisor to that company or you can give feedback and they'll really listen to you. And so you can really have an impact on on that product and how it's built and how they're thinking about it and maybe even suggest features. And so that that can be pretty cool, right? If, if you're interested in that and want to be involved in that way, it's kind of a different kind of work, right? But the opportunity to like partner with one of these companies to help you improve your workflows as a clinician or make you a better therapist. I think that that that's a net positive. You said a couple of things that I wanted to just circle back on. You said clinicians contract with these companies. So again, this might be a really basic question. So what does that mean? Like they're doing their credential through them, like they're doing clinical like work or what? Are, what's like the scope of what contracting means? So there are different types of mental health companies. I mentioned kind of the early tech companies to do therapy online were primarily cash pay, right? So you think about like a talk space, a better help, a therapist signs up and clients like join. It's really a a marketplace model. You You think about Uber, right? As the kind of big example. And so those therapists are seeing clients through the platform and they're paid as independent contractors, you know, as 1099 contractors. And they're they're paid either a fee per session that they do, or maybe it's an hourly rate. Now there are more companies who are working with payers and insurance companies. And so as as a therapist, working with insurance can be very difficult, just the process of getting paneled and then actual billing insurance. There's a lot of paperwork. You may not get paid for a while. There may be clawbacks where they take the money back from you. They may do an audit on you, right? So insurance as as a therapist in private practice is like a huge pain. So there are companies who are working to kind of help to streamline that process for therapists. And they're able to, because they have large provider networks are able to go to insurance companies and they'll say, hey, if we come in network with you, we're going to bring you 10,000 therapists. So they're able to negotiate higher reimbursement rates. Mm. And so those therapists are also paid as, as 1099 contractors as well. There are companies that also employ therapists full-time. And so they operate similar to like a virtual group practice, essentially, where you're an employee, you're paid as a, as a W-2 employee. Yeah, it's, I would it's, say for the most part, it's independent contractors. contractors. And so you think about like signing up for Uber, Lyft, and taking some, just like working in the evenings or on the weekends, trying to make some extra money. That's how a lot of, a lot of therapists are working with these therapy platforms. Got it. I wanted to shift a little bit because you alluded to this and you were speaking a little bit about it, which is Client data privacy, I think, is something so many therapists are concerned about, and maybe even their own, like our own data, right? Like, what's been your experience of like client data privacy with these startups? I know it's kind of a broad question, but like, I don't know if you've noticed any general trends, anything like that at all. Yeah, it's definitely a valid concern. There have been companies who have done some like sketchy things with client data. Those companies have been well-documented. I won't, 
name them here, but definitely do your due diligence. If you're listening to this, definitely just go look it up and, and kind of do your own research. So what I'll say is that client data and privacy and HIPAA and all of that is very important, right? Like as a therapist, you do not want to put your license at risk by working with one of these companies. Often the way that these companies work is they're just providing the platform. And so you are still liable. You maintain all liability as the provider. They're just the the platform provider, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And so if you're considering signing up for one of these services as a therapist, I would definitely ask those questions like, what data do you collect? What do you do with it? How do you store it? And if the person that you're speaking to doesn't answer those questions or isn't transparent, then I would say that that's a red flag. And again, trust your trust your gut there. Something that companies have gotten in trouble about, and it's gone all the way up to the congressional level, is collecting client data and information and then leveraging that data to retarget and run ads against those people on Facebook and Instagram, right? And so they're essentially selling that data to Facebook, right? Oh, wow. So related to like the product they're offering or just like their- No, in in general, yeah. So like if you disclose in your therapy intake form or maybe in one of your sessions, you talk about how you're struggling with depression. Now you're getting ads on Facebook for depression medication, pharmaceutical companies or something, right? Yeah. And so that's not okay, right? So that like these companies shouldn't be retargeting you or running ads that are targeting you because of something that you talked about with your therapist. Yeah, which I think brings me to like sort of our final area. I mean, it is like, it's a lot to navigate. What are like the top three things that therapists should get an answer to like when deciding to buy or like even sign up for like these startups. So I think you alluded to some of those questions, like how's data being stored, but like you know, sort of generally, like what what things? Yeah, I think I think data is a big one. And the response to that question might be, oh, it's encrypted, or you know, or they might say something that it doesn't really give you an answer. <laughs> so I again I think like it's just trusting your gut and then I think another big one is whether or not there is a a therapist or a clinician on their founding team, part of their executive team, part of their leadership team. Like, is there a therapist that's in the room that's helping them to make these kinds of decisions? As a therapist, if I was considering contracting or working with one of these companies that's delivering mental health services, but there's not a mental health professional, that to me feels like a concern. And some of these companies will have advisors that they'll put on their website. And so I think asking that question as well of like, hey, like, how do you make clinical decisions? Do you you consult with mental health professionals? Do you have a mental health professional on your team? I think that is a big one. And then another one, I would say a very important topic and question to ask is around compensation. Right. So like, how are you paying therapists? How much are you paying therapists? A lot of these companies are known for underpaying therapists as low as $20, $25 a session. 
And so I think that's also a question to, and there's there's been some kind of compensation structures that I've seen as well, where the more clients you see or the more hours you spend, the more that you can make, right? So it actually starts very low, but if you see up to 50 clients a week, then you can make much more, which then just leads to burnout, right? And again, just kind of the incentives are misaligned there. I've, I've also seen some compensation around like rewarding therapists for retention, which basically means like the longer your client stays using that therapy app or therapy platform, you're compensated as a provider, right? So it's basically you're financially compensated to keep your client in therapy, which depending on your approach, right? Like may not be aligned. Like someone graduating from therapy could be a good thing, right? And so it's just also creates this like power dynamic that feels off. And so, so I think the three things I would look at are how these companies are handling data, is privacy important to them? Is there a clinician on the founding or leadership team? And then also compensation. How much are they paying therapists? And if they're if they're not willing to disclose that in an initial conversation, I think that that's a red flag as well. And I think you are completely in your right as a provider to interview these companies, if they're re- especially if they're reaching out to you and trying to recruit you. It's okay to ask these questions and to do your due diligence, I think, because of the shortage of providers that we've that we've discussed, you are kind of in a position of leverage as a clinician to um, to get this information before making a decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think sometimes therapists we forget that, right? That we have leverage and in in situations like this. Mike, I'm just incredibly grateful for this conversation. I think it is, it is, I don't know, the thing I'm kind of taking away, like, this is not easy. And in fact, if anything, it's like, there's such wisdom in like slowing down and being intentional and just like really asking these questions because it's not just about like getting out a platform, right? It's about these sort of long-term things that you really have to probably play a bigger role, right? In and stuff that you have to consider. So I appreciate you so much. Tell, share with us a little bit about the work that you're doing over at Herd, and then we can wrap it up. Sure. Yeah. Something I was going to say too, is that if you're considering using one of these services or working for one of these companies, I would definitely ask colleagues what I do when I hear about one of these new companies, or if you reach out to me and you're like, Hey, I was contacted by this company. Do you know who they are. And I haven't heard of them. I just go on Google and I search for the name of the company. And often there's already a Reddit thread about the company, or I'll go over to a Facebook group and be like, Hey, not even just post in the Facebook group, but also like you can search in a Facebook group. Right. And so you can look up the name of the company and see, because if you're getting contacted, then other therapists are probably getting contacted by these companies as well. Right. And so definitely like tap into the therapist community to learn more about like what their experiences are um, yeah. as well. I think that's really, can be really helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Reddit is such a goldmine when it comes to this stuff. Yeah. There's some real, totally. yeah, r- real, yeah, real, it, yeah. It's so you asked about herd. So I 
run brand marketing at a software company called Herd. We are not a mental health company in the sense that we provide mental health services, but we do work with mental health professionals. We provide the financial back office for therapists in private practice. So we provide a an all-in-one solution for bookkeeping, tax prep, payroll. We also have partnerships with companies that provide business bank account. You want to set up a retirement plan. So all of those financial questions that you have when starting a practice as a therapist, heard is there to, to support you. And I also read the reviews on Herd in on Reddit and in Facebook groups as well, right? And so I'm kind of on the other side of that. And I always appreciate that that feedback. And it's really great to hear like what therapists are experiencing with our software as well. And and so for me that feedback is such a gift, right? Because if people aren't letting us know, then we don't know whether to fix it or not. So Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Mike, thank you again for for doing this. I'm grateful for this conversation, grateful for our friendship and have a great rest of your day. Thank you so much. Bye. Hey there. Hope you enjoyed my conversation with Mike. And especially if you have been navigating this world of data privacy and seeing like there's some amazing companies that are now doing stuff in the mental health space. So wanting to like to leverage that for your private practice and even some of the stuff that Mike alluded to, if you want to do something innovative and and different than just beyond clinical work, uh, the opportunity to advise some of these companies. I hope that today's podcast session has just been really helpful for you. In the intro, I alluded to this dilemma that I'm having. And again, I, I think this will probably turn into a <laughs> into a solo session, but my dream has always been to go in, you know, back into private practice. It would be honestly a very small private practice, somewhere probably between like two to five clients a week is what I'm kind of thinking, just because I want to keep the main focus on STC. I miss the work. I genuinely miss the work. And it's been hard with Chloe being so young to run two businesses. I, so it just didn't make sense. But as she's now older, I've been thinking a lot about this. And one of the things that I have been thinking about is, is there some wisdom in me doing this, not only to serve clients, but also it gives me some exposure to some of these products and services so that I can share stuff that I'm learning so that you can continue to make a more thorough and a more informed decision. Currently, because I'm not doing clinical work, the system I've set up, I think it is pretty good. So the long and short of it is I do some combo. If there's a company that reaches out to me, I'm searching Reddit threads, Facebook groups, just to hear the conversations that are happening with that there uh, with that particular company. I'm also I have a like kind of an informal board of advisors. These are folks that are seasoned clinicians. They're on ethics boards, stuff like that. That I will bounce ideas off of or or to share their thoughts on, and even like when it comes to like podcast sponsorships, um, as I alluded to in the intro. I've turned down sponsorships just because like I, there was no way I was going to take money knowing that they had something that was a deceptive practice and that could actually cause harm to somebody listening just because, you know, I don't know, at the end of the day that all we have is our word is so powerful, right? And and I, not that I've like figured this out or that I will navigate all of this perfectly, but I just wanted to at least share that. Again, sometimes I feel like 
by sharing this because I'm like some, again, like pinnacle of morality or something, but it's not my intent at all. It's more to share, like, these are really hard things. And, you know, these are things that I didn't anticipate, fully anticipate when I started STC. And so I just wanted to be open and human about that. So hope you enjoyed this conversation. If you did, let's connect on LinkedIn, because I, I think I would love to kind of especially hear your experiences and some of the things that you're navigating. Have a great rest of your day and I'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to the Selling the Couch podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit www.sellingthecouch.com. Hey there, I hope that you enjoyed today's session. Uh, Thank you again for taking the time to listen all the way through. If you are a therapist and you're specifically in a season where you're a seasoned therapist and you are wanting to move from clinical to online course income, we actually have a specific mastermind for therapists who are doing this. So this is basically a group of really kind and supportive therapists who are also wildly successful as business owners. We meet together to build and grow and scale our online courses. You can learn more about that mastermind over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash mastermind. All one word, sellingthecouch.com forward slash mastermind. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to today's session.